Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center, no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome everybody to Paradox. I'm Jimmy. Howdy, and I am Josh. And we have someone who is extraordinarily famous. I mean, we have famous people. Yeah. But this guy transcends fame. Most of you have probably seen this on YouTube, but he caught a <laughs> quail in mid-flight while hunting with Colt McCoy. Uh-huh. No big deal. And I know you were trying to impress him with your catching ability. Um, <laughs> so, so tell me that that was Photoshopped. You know what, man? It, it honestly, before the Lord, it, it, was, it actually happened. It actually happened. Colt and I uh, were filming a small group men's Bible study where we kind of did some hunting and fishing shows and put some Bible studies with them. And we were doing a quail hunt and uh, we, we only had one camera rolling. They were just picking up some B roll at that point. We, we were done and uh, somebody screamed coming at you. And there was this bird coming at me, but the cameras are right in front of us. So I couldn't shoot cause I didn't want to shoot a camera guy. And uh, my cousin was actually to my left and he, he, you can't hear it on camera, but he said, catch it. And I don't know how, how or why or whatever, no man, but I, I really I really did catch that. I mean when I saw that, I just went, Well, okay. This is this is kinda like God providing the quail in the wilderness. This is very similar. <laughs> A long time. Can I get an amen? Yeah, listen, guys, If uh, most of you know Matt Carter, but he is the uh, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Austin Stone uh, here in Austin, Texas. And um, Matt and Aaron Ivey, who is the music, one of the music pastors there at the Stone, uh, they together wrote a book entitled Steal Away Home. Uh, and it is a biofictional account of the friendship of Charles Spurgeon and Thomas Johnson. Of all the, you know, I get it that you would like to, hey, you know, Spurgeon's kind of cool. I think I'll write a biography. How, where did this whole, you don't see a lot of biofictional books coming out. Where did the idea come from to put it in this format? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I, I, I thought of this, honestly, years ago. Um, I was reading a book uh, called Killer Angels. It was written in the 80s by a guy named Jeff Shera, and he won the um, he won the Pulitzer Prize for it, and it was a story of the Battle of Gettysburg. And what was different about the book is he each chapter was a different character that actually lived and, and fought in that battle. And so one chapter would be like Ulysses S. Grant, and the battle was told from his perspective, and the other was from a you know maybe a, a soldier that was on the field. And I thought, man, that is an interesting way to write a book. Uh, a novel, if you will, and because it it really kept my attention, and you feel at the end of it that you knew the characters better than you mm -hmm. did going in, and and maybe even through history books. And I thought, how cool would it be if we wrote in a similar way for some of the characters that have impacted us in church history? And and so that's kind of where the idea came about that we wanted to uh, write a novel, if you will, with this this pastor Charles Spurgeon as one of the main characters. And when you talk about church history and someone that you would like to 
you know, to to kind of maybe possibly introduced to a new generation. I think Wycliffe would come to mind. Any of the apostles would come to mind. Martin Luther might come to mind. Um, you, you say that Spurgeon is a hero of yours. How did he achieve hero status with you? <laughs> you want me to be honest? Can we, can we just totally be honest? <laughs> well, no, 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 happened, no. Don't I mean, be honest. <laughs> I mean, you can totally edit this part out if show. you want to. Man, I was a seminary student, and I'd heard his name before. He was a really famous preacher. Um, back in the 1800s in England, and he was a he was probably the, one of the first megachurch pastors, if you will. He had about 5,000 people coming to church there in London um, years and years and years ago. And so I'd heard his name, but then one of my seminary professors was talking one day about how he liked to smoke cigars. And um, and this is a true story. We we verified this in our research. But he he had got finished preaching and was standing at the back of the church and was shaking people's hands, as preachers are apt to do, and he lit up a cigar. And this elderly lady came, and she said, Pastor Spurgeon, when are you going to quit smoking those confounded cigars? And he said, well, madam, I'll quit smoking them when I smoke them to excess. And she said, well, Pastor, you just got finished preaching, and you're already smoking one. What would you consider excessive? And he replied, well, I would consider it excessive if I were smoking two at the same time. And um, and when the, and that that's that's a true story. Okay. And I, when I heard this in seminary, I was like, "Man, I love this guy. I don't know who he is, but I love that him. kind of people." Very that's nice. right. And and so I, you know, I, I started studying him. I read a lot of his biographies. Um, and and honestly, not a lot of people know this, but we modeled uh, the Austin Stone after the Metropolitan Tabernacle mm-hmm. in the 1850s. They not only did he preach the gospel and impact literally thousands of people with the message of Christ, but he he made a huge impact through their church to the city. You know, and they, they started an orphanage that had 700 kids that they were taking care of. They started all, all these uh, homes for the elderly. They ministered to the poor and just really had an impact on the culture, not just spiritually, but in, in, in all these different ways in the city. I thought, man, if I ever pastor a church, I'd love to pastor a church like that. And so back in seminary, that's when I kind of fell in love with this guy. And so when we, when we started thinking about what kind of book we wanted to write and what kind of story we wanted to tell— especially with this novel, you know, of historical biographical fiction, if you will. He's kind of the first guy that came to mind. Now, so the book is about uh, friendship, and it had to have been incredible to write a book about friendship with one of your best friends. Kind of tell us about you and Aaron's relationship and what that experience was like writing together. Yeah, man. So, we, you know, the, the book is a story about the uh, a real-life friendship between this pastor, Charles Spurgeon, and a former slave— from the United States, who grew up on a tobacco plantation in Virginia. And um, we can get in the story, I guess, later. But, you know, it's, it's ultimately a story about friendship. And, and, when, and so when I thought about who, who do I want to write this book with, because every book I've written so far in my life, I, I've always done it with other people. You know, I wrote a book with Colt McCoy and wrote a book with one of my other pastors. And I, I loved working together. And I thought, man, I want to write with Aaron Ivey. One, he's a great writer. Is When you read the book, you'll discover this. I mean, he's just an excellent, excellent writer. But he and I have been friends for a really long time. And I think, honestly, um, a lot of times pastors and worship leaders, those relationships have a tendency to be strained for various reasons. And, and Aaron and I have just always really just loved each other and gotten along and our families spend time together. And and so to sit down and, and write a book on friendship with one of my best friends was a real joy. And we were able to to draw from that friendship, our, our real-life relationship, in order to make it, I think, a better story. You know, you, you mentioned um, that we'll get to the story later. What is kind of a, a quick synopsis of the story of the book? Well, the, the, 
the guy that's the, the former slave was named Thomas Johnson, and he, he's a real-life guy that we came across his story when we were doing kind of the research phase of the project. And one of the kind of the premier Spurgeon scholars in America is at Midwestern Seminary, and we were interviewing him, and he kind of made this offhanded comment about this former slave that Spurgeon knew. And, and so we started studying it, and we found this guy's autobiography, Thomas Johnson, that, that's out of print now. But the autobiography is called 28 Years a Slave. He uh, kind of long story short, we tell the story of his life on the plantation about being a slave, and and he eventually becomes a Christian on the plantation and gets saved. And and he talks about that he experienced kind of the freedom in Christ that he'd always longed for for his body. You know, he's in chains literally, and but he found this kind of freedom of his soul. But after he gets saved, he, one of the things the Lord lays on his heart is he wanted to be a, a missionary to Africa. And, you know, he's like, if I ever get free, if I'm ever not a slave anymore, then I want to go back to Africa to my people and tell them about Jesus. And, well, the Emancipation Proclamation happens. Richmond falls to the Union Army, and he's freed. And then all of a sudden, he's he's free. And, and he's like, well, all right, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go to Africa. But he's not educated. They didn't educate the slaves um, on this plantation at all. So he knew he needed to learn how to read and write if he wanted to preach the gospel. And um, through a series of pretty cool events that people can hear about in the story, he he ends up hearing about Charles Spurgeon, and they get in contact together. And Spurgeon's like, "Come to England and come to our college, and and we we'll, we'll educate you, and our church will commission you um, as a missionary." And sure enough, he and his wife get on a, a boat and they go to England, and he goes to to the pastors' college. It was called then. And uh, is, is educated there, and, and he develops a friendship with Charles Spurgeon, and, and it really happened. And what was amazing about it is, I mean, guys, this is in the 1870s. This is shortly after the American Civil War, and um, and you see this friendship that develops that that crosses the divides of culture and race and continents, and it's founded on on Jesus. And it's a beautiful, really cool, true story that hasn't been told yet, and so it's been. It's been a joy to tell it. You know, this thing has movie written all over it. You know, we did get the movie rights for this. <laughs> and so nice, you, you never know, man. That would be pretty awesome. I've seen pictures of Spurgeon, and I'd say I'm a dead ringer. <laughs> so when it comes time to cast it, I hey, mean, I just want you to look my Matt, way. Matt, I need you to know Jimbo actually did go to Baylor University on an acting scholarship. Oh, yes, I did. Thank you. So in man, the, I'll tell you what, I'm a Thespian. He'd be the he'd be the perfect sperm. You can get up to about 300 pounds and grow a beard. You're in, man. Gotcha. Hey, that's a challenge I'll pick up. Now, Matt, a second ago, you you said something that caught my ear. You said while he was still on the plantation, he got saved. Now, for those of us who grew up who grew up Southern Baptist, um, I know exactly what you're saying. But that that is a a term that we don't use anymore. Churches today are are backing away from, we don't want to smell like a church, look like a church, have anything to do with a church. We want to look like a nightclub more than we want to look like, you know, a house of God. And you used a word that was almost archaic. And what's, what, what makes it jump out at me is you're the pastor of an 8,000-member church, mostly made up of millennials, uh, or at least very young people. And yet you're not doing church like a lot of these other non-church churches are doing it. You know, uh, sorry for reverting back to my Southern Baptist roots there, man. I fell into it pretty quickly. Um, I, <laughs> I apologize for that. He, he became a follower of Christ, I guess is how we would probably say it today. Very nice. <laughs> do, man. Thank it's, you. It, it, you know, we, we are, and it's fascinating, man. I, I'm 
as you guys saw, I'm just kind of a country boy, you know, from East Texas, I catch quail with my bare hands and, and, you know, how does a guy like that go into downtown Austin, Texas and, and have a church full of college kids, you know? And I think, I think what I'm finding is that the currency of the millennial culture, if you will, is authenticity. And I think if I were to have tried to come to Austin and be somebody I'm not, try to be cool or try to be creative or savvy, I think millennials just sniff that out from a mile away. But they see this guy. I am who I am. Um, I I preach the Bible. I I preach it unashamedly. I don't try to put a mask on it. We present it in a very compelling and real way and say, this is who Jesus was. This is what he said. And and, and you can kind of do business with him. But I think the authenticity aspect is what has attracted um, these millennials to our church. I tell you what, um, it's come to the time of the show where I get to break it to people if they've become one of my favorite guests. And I'm telling you, you have become one of my favorite guests. Therefore, the next time you're in Austin, Matt, Texas, everybody is one of his favorite gifts. The next time you're in yes. Austin, I'm treating you to enchiladas <laughs> y mas. Now, the only reason this scares me is you're actually in Austin and I might have to shell out some money. <laughs> Most of these people are never going to darken these doors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm busy. I'm a very busy man, but uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Matt, I do have a question uh, before we wrap up. What implications, either implicitly or explicitly, does your book have on the current race relationships in America? Man, it, you know, I've, I've done a handful of interviews recently because of the release of the book, and and since Charlottesville, I've, I've been asked that question every time. Sure. And I find it fascinating that this was a concept that we were dreaming about five, six years ago, and then it literally releases the week before Charlottesville happens. And to me, I, I don't think that's an accident. I think that you see the story of these guys, like I said earlier, that a friendship that transcends every boundary that typically keeps people apart. And one, the beauty of it uh, is, is, is clear to see. Two, is that we see that it's possible. And, and three, that, that it happened because of their mutual relationship with Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't think these two people ever meet, much less become friends apart from that. And so, you know, man, I, I, I don't know a ton about your audience, but I would, I will say this. I really believe that the answer to all of this is, is ultimately found in, in Jesus, you know, and, and in Christ. But our hope is that God will somehow use this um, to see that we're, we're a lot more alike than we are different. The other thing we hope they see is that, you know, one of the ways that Pastor Spurgeon was really able to connect with Thomas is he treated him as a peer. He treated him as an equal. And, and, and Spurgeon, when they meet, kind of the first time they meet, and this is all kind of on historical record, is that Spurgeon did a lot more asking questions than he did talking. You know, he was very interested in, Thomas, what was your life like on the plantation? What was it like to be a Christian on the plantation? How did you endure that suffering? And he just sat there and listened. And I think what we've been trying to to say and to show is that in this culture, man, kind of step one is for all of us to probably do a lot more listening and a lot less talking. And I think we can go a long way with that. And to that point, you know, what do what can readers learn about Christian community from this book? And that's a good question. I, you know, I, one of the things that I actually spend a lot of time talking about is is what that looks like. And you know, we have a tendency 
in church to to think about church as one person kind of speaking and teaching and the other person just receiving. But what you see in this relationship is two pastors. Um, one is probably not, not, not probably, he is the most famous pastor in the world. And this other guy that, that just, that nobody knows. And, and Spurgeon drew an incredible amount of joy from that relationship. He drew uh, an incredible amount of um, wisdom from his relationship with Thomas. And I think it just shows that one of the main reasons we're kind of able to endure in life. And one of the, one of the main kind of avenues, if you will, that'll help us to endure in our faith is to have people alongside us in the journey. Christianity, I think was never meant to be an individual kind of thing. It was something I think from the very beginning created to do in the context of community And this story really is a really cool and beautiful picture of that. Matt, thank you so, so much for being on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You know, he said so many really cool things, but the thing that stood out the most for me was he claimed to have really caught the quail. I mean, that's... (laughs) And if you haven't seen it, Matt Carter, YouTube, catching quail. Yeah. He caught a quail. It's pretty unbelievable. Mid-flight. So that's what I'm going to bring away from this interview. Loved his mentioning of when I asked him about race relations. You know, he said ultimately they were friendships because of their relationship with Christ, or they were friends because of that. I thought that was key as well as you got to ask more questions. And that seems like a no brainer. Oh, of course. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt. But like literally, that implies that we should ask less questions. <laughs> more questions. Or more questions and talk less, <laughs> Speak right? Speak less, listen yeah, more. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's key. We all want to share our political and race opinions, and um, for us to ask more questions I think is huge. But I'm telling you, this what I love about the book is that they took a very unique format to—and yes, it's, it's biographical about Spurgeon and someone you've never heard of— and their friendship, and you go, but what you're learning is poignant today. It's covering topics that impact the way you live your life every day. So don't let it scare you off that it's some historical, you know, whatever. This is a book that will really challenge your faith. I think it's an important read. So I didn't mention this before he left, but if you want more information about Matt, go to austinstone.org. They also have a, a podcast of all of his sermons, so definitely check that out as well. You can also follow him on Twitter. It is underscore Matt underscore Carter is his Twitter account. And on YouTube, Catching Quail. Uh, if you want you more information about this show... And or to, to see all the, the links that for anything that we talked about, go to ParadoxPodcast.com. You can also follow the show and us individually on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, ParadoxPodcast.com. You can catch a video of Josh actually catching a California condor. It was, it was, it was quite a sight. What do you Google? California? <laughs> yeah. Ca- uh, Google California condor, Josh screaming like a girl. <laughs> and you'll get that on YouTube. And with that, have a nice day. See ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. My wife, they have three small children. They have three children, three and under. And says, but my wife is on her Facebook all day. 
And he says, you know, I was, I was ill recently. And so I was kind of at the house all day. And he said, she literally was on her phone all day. She, while she's walking back and forth. Now she's, she's of course feeding the kids and she's pulling out toys for them with one hand while she's checking Pinterest in the other. 